Howdy, y'all. My name is Chipper Adams. I am a covenant member here at The Well. I'm part of the Terrytown Community Group. And I've recently begun um, serving as a post-grad part of the Well College team. Our scripture today is from Judges chapter 6, and we'll be beginning in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth the Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. This is the word of the Lord. All right, Christ beloved, how are we? Good. Mm, it's good to be here with you all today. Um, I mean, I am a awfully, often strongly affectionate towards this church, but um, I've been overwhelmed with affection recently. Uh, I love what the Lord is doing here. Uh, I love how the Lord is working in us and through us and just excited for what he's moving us into. And so uh, God is good to give us a spiritual family to journey with. Amen? Um, lots of good things coming. So new series today. We ready? Good deal. Um, like three people are real ready. We about it, all right? Hey, we for the next five weeks will be in the book of Judges looking specifically at the story of Gideon. And we got some things coming that I'm excited for. But Gideon is a zoomed in story within the book of Judges as a whole. The author actually spending more time on Gideon than any other judge, and for good reason, because to understand Gideon is really to understand the book of Judges in a lot of ways. The overarching theme of this story, hence the title of the series, is The Beautifully Broken Hero. Uh, if I were to write a book on Gideon, that's what I would title it. Uh, unfortunately, my Ebonics ain't acceptable English to most publishers, so until further refinement, your boy ain't writing a book anytime soon, all right? Uh, but there are so many riches that I think apply to us personally uh, and also to our church corporately. And so I'm excited to really journey in this together. Uh, as often mentioned, we're going through each of our distinctives this year. And the distinctive we're focused on, as Orieji talked about, is pushing back darkness. We exist as a church to make much of Jesus by reproducing disciples who impact the world for the glory of God. And so for the glory of God is the reason why we exist. God is glorified in us and through us, and I believe wants to use us to exalt his beautiful name. And in this, we believe that part of glorifying God is pushing back darkness. Our full distinctive actually reads this. It says, we begin and end our mission statement with the same idea, because this is what we live for, to glorify God. We believe that this statement ties everything together and is the ultimate reason for our existence. We believe in fighting for something bigger than ourselves and laying down our lives for the sake of the glory of God. We believe that God has actually given us the ability to push back darkness in our city, our nation, 
and this world and desire the light of Christ to shine through us on all things. We want to push back darkness, and that's what we're focusing on in this series through our beautifully broken hero. And Gideon is so good, y'all. Like, I'm excited to jump into this series together because there's so many things wrapped up within this book, so many imageries that I think uh, really create this impact in our life if we would allow it to, to bear weight on us. And so as Chipper already read some of the meat of the story for us so that we know where we're going, I want to back up just a little bit to explain the context of what's going on here. Judges was written in between the time of Joshua when Israel finally got into the promised land and the kings like, uh, like Saul or David or Solomon, etc. And the overarching theme to the book of Judges is that after they got what God had finally given them, after they finally got blessed, these cats were ratchet during that time, y'all. They was wilding out. They was acting a fool. They was cutting up. They was acting a hot mess. Or however you say it in your vernacular, okay? Uh, the theme of Judges is repeated multiple times throughout this book. And it's actually mentioned in the very last book or verse in this book as well. In Judges chapter 21, verse 5, the last verse, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Uh-uh, whatever, I do what I want. If you're old enough, you get that reference, okay? That was the book of Judges. Now, what would happen is they'd act out, God would punish them, or rather discipline them in their sin, and they'd be like, God, we're so sorry. And then God would send a judge, and he would deliver them from the mess they were in, and then they'd just fall right back into the same sin patterns again. And so Judges, or Gideon is actually the fifth judge in this series at large, and the one that I believe that we can uh, learn the most from if I'm honest with us, I actually believe this is a really pivotal series for us as a church body because I believe that God wants to speak things to each of us individually about how we push back darkness around us. I think that God wants to call us up and call out some things in us to push back darkness like Gideon did in our church and in our lives. And so with all of that context in the book of Judges, let's go back to the beginning of Gideon's story. In Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, we see this. It says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Several things here, okay? First of all, let's make this story real for us. They have been suffering under oppression for a long time, y'all. Seven years is what verse one highlights for us. Like, like we've been in COVID just for two years, and it's not even remotely comparable to what they are going through, and yet we feel the burden of COVID, right? 
These people are being oppressed in some very serious ways, so you got to think about where their hearts may be before the Lord here. The Midianites overpowered them, it says in verse 2, and whenever, like every single time they planted crops, they just came in and consumed them mugs. Verse 3 and 4 shows us. They would go there, they would devour it, they would leave no sustenance, and then they would ravish them, is what verse 5 says. I mean, imagine living in this year after year after year. And so Israel was brought not just low, but very low, is what the text tells us in verse 6. I believe there are several application points for us here already. Firstly, there's this normal pattern that happens in the book of Judges. What happens is they sin, and then they get oppressed, and then they cry out to God, and then God sends a judge to deliver them. And we'll see in a second how God breaks this pattern because this is actually the fifth time they've fallen into this identical pattern here. And as a father, I have seen this trick before, right? It's like, girls, don't do that. Girls, don't do that. Come on, girls, I told you, don't do that. This is as far as I get, though, okay? God went all the way to here, right? Uh, There's no repentance, though, is what we're seeing. Even in this story, there's not really repentance because they sin right before and they sin right after this story. So really there's just remorse and confession, and there's a difference between confession and repentance. Confession is saying, I've done something wrong. Repentance is actually changing the way you behave and doing something different. And so their crying out was circumstantial, which was shown in the previous and the, and the next story. There's no true change of heart. Israel just wanted better circumstances. They didn't want to suffer. They didn't actually care about pleasing or following God. Their repentance was heart or not heartfelt. It was really just skin deep in that way. And I think that this happens to us too. I think often when pain or struggle or heartache comes in our life, we don't really want God, we just want a better circumstance. We don't want deliverance from our sin, we just want deliverance from some suffering so we can go on creating our own personal heavens on earth. Now, I always say it's good to desire not to suffer, even godly to desire that. For where we are going, there will be no suffering. But oftentimes, God is trying to get our attention in our suffering. And rather than seeking him in it and through it, we often just seek to be freed from it. We're missing what God is doing in the midst of it. And often we seek to be freed from suffering, even if that means that God ain't even in the picture. We'd rather not suffer than have Christ. We want temporary happiness over true holiness. And yet often God is trying to get our attention. Maybe he's trying to get our attention because of some sin in our life. Or, or maybe he's trying to prepare us for something. Or, or maybe he's trying to make us less dependent on the world and the idols that will ultimately destroy us anyway. And put us back into the God's graces who love us and who wants to give himself to us. What I'm saying is that God does not waste our suffering. Especially when it's brought on because of our sin. You know, God had promised that Israel would actually suffer in this way if they had rebelled against God. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15 and verse 33, it says, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, then a nation that you have not known shall eat up the fruit of your ground and of all of your labors, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually. There's some weight to that. You see, sometimes we sin against the Lord 
We're walking opposite of his ways and opposite of his holiness. And then we face some discipline or some consequence because of our sin from our loving God who will not allow us to run our paths into ruin and destruction. Y'all ain't with me. And then we get mad at God, right? Like, God, where are you at? God is extremely present, friends. He's the one exercising the discipline so that you don't run your life into chaos. God is maybe nearer in that moment than you've ever experienced in your life. He's trying to save you from this sin that will ultimately unhinge you and ruin your life in the long run. He's trying to draw us back to himself, if we would but listen. The Midianites, they're actually mentioned 11 times in this chapter and 11 times in the next chapter as well, really as the main character in the entire story. In other words, when we stop seeking the Lord, another main character presses into our story. Sin becomes the main character and our hearts slowly but surely are detoured away from Christ. And sin slowly but surely begins to get more oppressive in our life and then it begins to devour us, leaving us fearful and helpless and very low. This is the result of sin. The Midianites, by the way, were from Abraham's third wife which shows you how sin impacts generations ahead of you way after you see it, even way after you die. What seemed to be very small for Abraham, just a little bit of pleasure, actually turned into destruction for his children's children's children. And so what may seem to be a small personal thing today and maybe only impacting you can be an oppressive army of sin to your grandchildren in the future. No, y'all ain't with me today, come on. This is why we have to be serious about killing sin. We have to be serious about following the will of God. And so what is this text showing us? Well, it's showing us, one, often we're kind of like Israel. We're left with some sort of spiritual destitution because of our sin. If we're honest, sometimes we're actually like Midian as well, where we oppress or we create systems of oppression when we have influence or wealth or power creating destruction around us. Either way, whether Israel or Midian, there's darkness and sin when the Lord is not involved. When we turn our back on God, there is destruction all around us. Either way, God is absent from the equation The presence of sin, family, begins to ruin everything, spiritually, but also physically and emotionally in our life as well. However, just because we at times can be absent from God, that does not mean that God is ever absent from us. You see, the pattern breaks in the book of Judges, which is really important for us to notice. There's a literary device that the author is trying to show us here. You see, people, the pattern break. Israel is in distress We see that. They cry out to God, but this time, in his grace, rather than bringing a judge, he brings a prophet. There's something really significant about what he's doing here, because once again, this is the fifth time that we see this exact same pattern, but now, rather than a judge to deliver, he brings them a prophet to teach them. We go on in verse 7. It says, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, On the account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. 
And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. What are we seeing here? We're seeing they did not need deliverance. They needed to know why they were in the mess they were in in the first place. God sent a prophet because they needed more than very quick relief. They needed to understand how they were disobeying God and what this meant for their life. In other words, sometimes God doesn't immediately deliver you, family, because he's trying to give you something more than temporary relief. He's trying to give you himself. He's trying to save your soul. He's trying to speak something over you and in you to deliver you in a far better way than your circumstances can predict for you. He's trying to build your faith that will endure, or he's trying to save you from shipwrecking your faith. He's being a good father is what I'm saying, y'all. Like if every time my children sinned and I was like, y'all, and they're like, my bad, daddy, we love you so much. And I was like, all right, cool, you get some ice cream. What do you think would happen to my children? They would turn into demons, right? Like, and often, family, we sin and then we get mad at God when he disciplines us, not realizing that that is a blessing from God. He's trying to deliver us from something that will ruin us. He's trying to deliver us from something that will oppress us. He's trying to maybe even grow us that we may be used by him in the future, Whatever it is, whether it's because of sin in your life or because of the need of growth or maybe there's darkness in the world around you or maybe you're in a season of darkness because God is trying to break the world off of you from within you. Whatever the result is, he's probably preparing you for a better kingdom. And that's what he was trying to do for the Israelites was prepare them for a better kingdom. Dill Davis, who is a pastor and a professor and a biblical commentator, he says this about this section. He says, like Israel, we may want to escape from our circumstances while God wants us to interpret our circumstances. Sometimes we need understanding more than relief. Sometimes God must give us insight before he dare grants us safety. Now he might be like, wait a minute. I thought this series was about pushing back darkness, and it is, okay? But sometimes before we can push back darkness around us, we have to push back darkness from within us, family. You see, sin ruins things. It oppresses or turns us into idol chasers or causes us to reject God. And in order for darkness to be destroyed out there, it also has to be destroyed in here, Sin has to be ruined. If we do not kill sin because God loves us, then God will kill the sin within us so that that sin won't end up killing us itself. God is good to you. What in your life keeps popping up that will bring you very low? Maybe that thing that keeps popping up in your life is God's grace to help you not ruin or shipwreck your faith in the long run. Y'all with me? Like there are probably things in your life that are repetitive, that bring you low. Man, maybe that is God's unbelievable grace on your life that he might one day bring you really high. Because without that tethering, at times we just run rampant and we do whatever we want. And we do evil in the sight of the Lord. Now there's a second pattern shift here for us that I think this one is very beautiful and very profound. Because normally when a prophet comes, he or she delivers an almost identical speech There's an intro, there's a recalling of God's grace, 
There's a demand that God gives because of this grace that he has given to others. Then there's an accusation of how they broke that demand and then a pronouncement of judgment. And then judgment comes, they cry out, there's deliverance, there's a brief enjoyment, and then rebellion, and then wash and repeat. Wax on, wax off. However, there's a pattern here that totally shifts in this story. It's the second pattern shift that the author's trying to tell us something really significant here. You see, there's an intro in this story. We actually see it in the text. It says, thus says the Lord. So here's the beginning of this pattern, right? And then there's this grace that's spoken of. He says, I led you out of Egypt. I I delivered you from the enemies. I, I gave you this land that I promised. And the only thing that I asked of you is that you would fear no gods. That's it. Right? I ain't asking 5,000 million things. I just want you to fear no gods, but you have not obeyed me, and you've rejected me. And then it goes on to verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth that Ophrah, which belongs to Joash the Abezerite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Wait, what? <laughs> All right? It goes from failure to Jesus, verse 11. That's who the angel of the Lord is, and we'll talk about that more in a second, so you don't think I'm just throwing something random out here, okay? But the pattern break with the prophecy in Judges 6 is that after chapter, or verse 10, the second part of that, verse B, where he says, and you have not obeyed my voice, therefore there should be this tense, this like fearful judgment because God is holy and good and right and proper. We should expect verse 11 to say, therefore you finna die. That's what it always says. That there should be consequences because the, the payment of sin, the wages of sin is death, family. And yet that pronouncement never comes. The judgment that should be announced is omitted. Instead, the angel of Yahweh implores a man to deliver Israel from their sin. Hold on, y'all. I'm about to, like, catch the Holy Ghost in this mug. Are y'all tracking with this, y'all? Right? Are you tracking with the reality of what's being said here? When God ought to destroy, he delivers once again. Like, because ultimately he is a covenant God that loves his people. When God ought to destroy, when judgment ought to be pronounced, instead he sends Jesus. Every single sin that we have done is stacking up against a holy God, and it creates corruption in this world, and God would be right and just to destroy every human that exists. God has the right to shatter. Instead, he prepares to save. Man, our sin, it oppresses us, family of God, and that darkness should overwhelm us. And even if and when God does allow that to temporarily begin to oppress us, God sends his son in the world that we might ultimately be delivered from the world, even though we don't deserve this. And so in comes Jesus into the picture, the pattern break where the angel of Yahweh shows up, I want to read the rest of our passage, and it's a little bit of a long passage, so I would implore you, don't check out, okay, because it bears all of this weight about all the sin we just talked about, and yet what God does instead of our sin, you would be right to judge, instead he sends Jesus. And so let's read the rest of our text this afternoon together. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth 
at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abezerite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? And where are his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and has given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you, pause real quick, what might of his? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I bring to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said to him, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. And the meat he put it in a basket and the broth put it in a pot. And he brought them to in under the terabith and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour this broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff, which was in his hand, and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord, my God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. In other words, I'm going to die. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abezerites. What appears to be just an angel or a messenger, at first, in verses 12 and in verse 20, you can see that there in the text. Oh, screen. Yeah, there you go. Right, the angel of the Lord, just kind of this normal person. The author keeps hinting at it being someone more. In verse 14 and verse 16 and verse 22, it's like maybe there's something a little bit more to this person. And Gideon begins to suspect this too. We actually see a progression in Gideon's understanding about the Lord. Please don't miss this, y'all. Because some of us are on this journey with God and we don't fully see him rightly. But if we spend enough time trying to figure out who God is, there will be a progression in our life as well. We all miss that. Come on now. Have you experienced that in your life? You see in verse 13, he calls him sir. Right? My Lord just means sir in that. But then in verse 15, he calls him Lord, like a, like a higher honor. But then in verse 17, there's this suspicion of more. He's like, man, maybe there's something more. Let, let me make an offering to you. And, and then in verse 22, he sees God, but I say that he sees God in part. He sees God, but not sees him fully. Because at this moment, Gideon still thinks that he is a God who will destroy Gideon doesn't yet understand God's covenantal love. His view of God is accurate, but it's harsh. Y'all with me? A lot of our view of God is accurate, but it's harsh. 
And you see God as this God who is waiting for any moment to come and try to destroy you. And that's what Gideon thought about God. We don't have a ton of time for this, but left without reminder of who God is, we will always think that God will destroy us and punish us at any possible moment. By default, that's what we will do because we have an inaccurate view of God. But then in verse 24, God speaks to him, and then he sees God in full. He's the God of shalom, which is why you and I need to constantly hear the voice of God through the word or through his spirit or through worship or through fellowship with one another that we might know who God truly is because if not for our fallen minds, we will always think that God is a God who is looking to get rid of us when in reality God is a God that is looking to draw us near, family. He is a God not of destruction but of shalom, of peace. We need to speak that truth over each other over and over again. Once again, when God should destroy, Jesus steps into the picture instead. And instead of destroying, Jesus does something wildly different. He commissions. There's all sorts of gospel points and parallels here. And honestly, we don't have time for all of them. But it's important to notice when and how Jesus steps in here. And the place of the pronouncement of judgment that commissioning may be had. Jesus steps into judgment that he might commission you. You see, the same thing happened 1,200 years later after this story. When we should have died, Jesus came down to earth permanently this time, the, the messenger of God wrapped in flesh. There's clearly something different about this man, yet not many people saw him clearly. But when they finally did see him clearly, they worshiped him for who he was. It's a parallel story. And Jesus, 1,200 years later, also stepped into the place of judgment and rose up from the grave and then commissions us to do something for his name. Look, can, can we do the gospel point a little bit earlier in the sermon this week? All right? I mean, what could you say? No. Do it later. It's like, no, we're going to do it right now, okay? Like, listen, like, like, let's keep it a band, okay? Do you feel the weight of this in your life? Let's not forget the first part of the sermon where most of us were kind of quiet, Right? Like, like, sin is real and it is weighty, but look at what Christ is showing us happens when we allow him to step into the picture. Look at what is showing us when we allow Christ to come into our life. There is deliverance. There is no judgment. There is commissioning on your life, family. There's something beautiful that's happening here. You see, Gideon shows, or Jesus shows up while Gideon's hiding. Did you catch that in verse 12, 11? Trying to cover himself, it says kind of like Adam in the garden. But Jesus comes and speaks something better to him, a more holistic deliverance in some ways. You see, many of us also try to cover up our sin and our shame from God. But the gospel says that you can bring that out into the open and lay it before God because he will cover it for you and deliver you from it. You see, Jesus appears to Gideon under a sacred tree. That's what the terebinth is. It's a sacred tree, kind of like the cross is a sacred tree. And he shows up to him while he's beating wheats like bread in a wine press, like wine, bread, and wine communion. And then Gideon offers a young goat or a lamb, some translations say, on a rock like Golgotha to God who is the God of peace. Many years later, another lamb would be offered, and rather than just accepting the sacrifice, though, God himself would become the sacrifice, family. 
This is unbelievable gospel news so that you and I might now be accepted before God. God accepted Gideon's sacrifice on faith, and he also accepted Jesus' sacrifice so that when we have faith, we're accepted before God. A spotless lamb on a rock so that we too can know the God of peace. There's all sorts of gospel nuggets here, okay? The staff, it turning into fire from the rock, Gideon being the weakest in his army, the parallels of this story with Abraham, Moses, Elijah, the woman at the well, the disciples on the road to Emmaus when he just disappears after they break bread, and on and on and on. But the point is really clear. The, the, the story is foreshadowing a greater story that is to come. One day Jesus would come and would deliver us from a, a greater oppression than Midian. He would deliver us from sin and from death and from Satan that we might know God, family. If you believe in Jesus, you've been delivered. But there's also implications to this, beloved. There's implications to this deliverance in our life. The death of Jesus, it means something for us. You see, Christ accepted Gideon's sacrifice. He accepted it because this is not just an angel, but it's God. An angel doesn't accept worship. God does. So God accepts this worship. And then he commissions this man, even though this man had done nothing to deserve this commissioning. In fact, on all human fronts, this was a, a really undeserving man. He was hiding in caves, was the weakest of his clan. And you too, friends of God, though you may be weak, if you are ready to offer what little you have to God, he can use you in the kingdom to push back darkness. See, I love verse 12. Oh, mighty man of valor. Like, really? <laughs> All right, Gideon's like, you talking about me? <laughs> right? Like, and many of us, we feel like this before the Lord. But when God looked at Gideon, he did not see Gideon. He saw what Gideon could be. When God looks at you, he does not just see you. He sees because Christ is now in you and on you what you could be. Scratch that. What you will be. Because he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Listen, look at verse 15 there, okay? Like, like God loves to use the lowly to exalt himself because then we don't trip and kind of think we're something that we ain't, right? And we know that it's God and the world knows that it's God because they knew you were weak before Jesus and now they look and they see Jesus moving and rather than coming to you for saving, they come to God who can actually save. He loves to use the weak. And so praise God for your weakness. This is when God is strong, family. Verse 14, this is why Gideon is strong, because God is with him. He's the one that's sending. And then look at verse 16, right? It says to go. Like, dog, doesn't this sound like the Great Commission? Go, therefore, Make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go, I am with you. God sends, God is with us. Family, are you getting this? Sid plainly, God wants to use us to push back darkness to accomplish his work. God wants to use us 
to push back darkness, to accomplish his work. Everything that Gideon needed to hear was in that one statement, God is with you. And everything you need to serve God and to push back darkness has already been said to you, God is with you. Against our weakness and against our inadequacies stands the roaring lion of God's strong arm. God is with you. And all Gideon had to do was have a tiny bit of faith. And we actually see that he did, right? Like, go back to verse 19 again. Like, think about what he did here, offering him this this goat and this little bit of wheat that he had just made in a wine press. I know that we're not an agrarian culture, even if we went to A&M and we think we are, we ain't, right? But a wine press is tiny, y'all. He does not have a lot of this, okay? And he goes and he offers this to God. This would have been wildly sacrificial, y'all. And in all of this oppression, all of this poverty, Gideon gave this stranger, in some ways, everything that he had. And so there is some level of sacrificial faith in this man. God takes our sacrificial gifts and reveals himself to them and then commissions us through them. Beautiful church family. Like, listen, the well. Like, looking out in the world and seeing all of the darkness around us, it may feel like it's too much to handle at times. Verse 3 and 4, there's too many camels to count. They're like locusts. The darkness is like locusts in number, like the Midianite army. And God wants to use us anyway against this family. Now, when we try to do it ourselves, we fail. When we look to Christ, though, there is assured victory. The angel of the Lord gives us strength. Look at what the text says, as if there was one man, because there is one man. His name is Jesus. And when that one man is dwelling with us, then there is nothing that can stop us, family of God. And so it can feel hard, right? The world, the chaos of it, our families, which we'll talk about in this series, Whether it be big things that God might be calling us to or small things, whether it be external things or internal things, whatever darkness is around, it can feel hard. Our culture around us, people leaving the faith left and right, the sins of the generation above us or around us or amongst us or even within us, the darkness and the gloom, but God wants to move over and above this, family. The thicker the darkness the more penetrating the light of life. And sin and inadequacies and darkness, they try to define you. When Christ steps into the picture, though, something greater, rather someone greater, defines you. And you can be used by God to overcome darkness. And so, mighty man of valor, God sees you. And I know you don't see yourself as being able to be used by God. You don't know enough of the Bible, or you don't have enough faith, or or you don't have what it takes, and all of the darkness can come in around us. But I hope that throughout this series, you begin to see that in small ways, family, whether in your family, or in your heart, or in your one place, or in your job, or in the nations, or in this church, or in massive, massive ways, God does want to use you. Mighty woman of valor, the Lord is with you. And I know, I know that pushing back darkness can feel hard sometimes. It is okay. He is with you. What can man do to you? And I hope throughout this series you see 
But as long as he's with you, and if he commissions you, which if you're a Christian, he has, then we can push back darkness in this world around us. And I deeply believe with every ounce of being that I have inside of me that God wants to use us. And so go, because the Lord is with you. I love you guys. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. Even as we talked about at the missions intensive yesterday, just, man, how you took this little bit of faith, even in our church. Extremely young pastor, extremely young group, 11 people, and you have blossomed life out of it. God, I believe that you can do that in tiny and in big ways with each one of us. And God, I pray for those who actually do not know who you are, who do not yet have a relationship with you, who aren't sure if they're a Christian or not. Friends, I want you to see that with just a little bit of faith, like Gideon had in verse 19, maybe you don't fully know, maybe you don't fully see Christ, but maybe you've tasted just enough of him to offer yourself to him. Maybe you realize that this God that we're talking about, maybe he's revealed himself to you. Maybe through worship or through the word or, or in your life or the fact that he saved you from death, maybe you realize that he's not just a sir or a Lord, but he's God. And if you offer that little bit of faith to him, he saves you. Let him light that sacrifice of yours on fire. And God, I pray for those of us who have offered ourselves to you, this, this little bit of sacrifice, all that we had left, we've given ourselves to you. God, I thank you for saving us. What in the world? And God, how easy is it for us to make both of Gideon's mistakes? God, we see our troubles as evidence that you have left us instead of asking what you're trying to do through our troubles. What are you trying to warn me of or prepare me for or produce in me? Help us to see what you're doing in our suffering, God. Yes. Also like Gideon, we're often waiting for you to do something in our life or in our world, wondering why you do not bring someone to help. We essentially say, God, why don't you remove this problem? Instead of saying, Lord, please make me the person who can handle this problem. And so please allow us, Father God, to push back darkness. Use us, God. Use this church body. Please, Jesus, please. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your gift of life. May we never forget it. And God, I pray very specifically that this would not feel like some rah-rah, hype-up sermon. Yeah, we can do something. No, bump that. You have commissioned us, God. The God of the universe commissions. Would we feel the weight of that? Would we recognize that even if that commissioning feels really, really small, that sometimes the really, really small mustard seed of faith produces harvest of righteousness? 
And will we give that to you, Jesus? Will we give that to you, Jesus? Would we give that to you, Jesus? The angel of Yahweh, the messenger of God. Would we offer little and big? Would we offer all that we have to you? I pray this in your precious name, Christ. Amen.